Welcome to Greatness, where the world's leading thinkers share their ideas about how to create greatness. Great leaders, great teams, and great organizations. Why be good when you can be great? This is Gretchen Gable, and I am so excited today to welcome Michelle Sales to the Greatness Podcast. Welcome, Michelle. Hi, Gretchen. Great to be here. Yeah. So Michelle and I's paths crossed. I think it was the fabulous Gabriel Dolan who might have introduced us a a few months ago. And at the time, I was looking for somebody to come in and guest speak to a group of women leaders here in Australia on confidence. And I asked Gabriel if she knew of anyone. And she introduced me to Michelle. Of course, I read your book, The Power of Real Confidence, Learn How to Lead to Your Full Potential. And I was immediately hooked, Michelle. I thought, wow, this person has a lot to say about confidence and leadership. So I'd love to start with how people got to where they are in our life journey. How did you become deeply interested in leadership and confidence? Mm, Thank you. It's always a great question. I love the stories that sit behind this. Um, I've always been passionate about great leadership through my corporate career, which I had about 26 years in financial services and you have learned from great leaders and not so great leaders alike like most of us have and um, I wanted to be a teacher actually when I when I was a kid when I was at school I wanted to be a teacher and then I had this great experience about 10 or so years ago and I was in India working and had my palm read by this gorgeous Indian man who had been doing this work all of his life and he took my hand in his and he looked at my palm and he said you are a teacher and sent shivers all the way through me but it kind of brought me right back to where I started and um, I was already a bit reflection on what do I do next and I joined the two together so I joined my passion for leadership and helping people be the be the best version of themselves and my passion for teaching together and developed this business eight years ago. That's awesome. And and where did the, the dive into confidence come? Because I know from writing a book, it's not easy to write a book. It's, um, it can be, uh, yeah, it can just be challenging. So to, to care deeply enough, and, and you have a very wonderful framework around leadership for people, where, where did that come from? Oh, I totally agree about writing. Uh, English was not my favourite subject at school and I never wanted to write a book. And so I feel like I did it the hard way. Um, But I also feel in another way that it's my life's work. You know, it's my own experience with confidence and my own uh, journey through this and that of my clients as well. Yeah, so it's my my life's work on confidence really in in many ways and, and learning that. It's not enough to just be the quiet achiever. You you have to um, build the confidence in a very grounded way to be able to to show up and have you know the right level of influence and impact. Yeah. So confidence, I feel, is one of those words that we kind of th- toss around. You know, it's kind of like culture or leadership or different things. But but what what really is confidence? <laughs> that's such a great question because if you google it which is where I started before I even put pen to paper on the book um, there's just thousands of definitions of, of confidence um, and, and I think it's easier in some ways to start with what it's not because I often get the question about 
um, confidence and the comparison to arrogance or bravado. And so it's really important to distinguish between confidence and arrogance and what it's not often for people to be able to see that so that they can engage with confidence for themselves. And so for me, confidence is really the ability to be able to be your best self, to know what you stand for and what's core to you, to be able to have a voice um, that has an impact and to be able to perform at our best. Yeah, you, you talk about in your book and thinking about confidence and why it's important that William James, 100 years ago at Harvard, said that one of the biggest challenges we face as leaders is lack of a belief in ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that's the why confidence is so important because you know, it's not it's not just enough to have the the competence or the the skills, I suppose, to be able to be good at our job. If we're a quiet achiever, then we won't be able to ever reach our potential. So I have this belief that competence and confidence sit side by side and they're so important to us being able to, you know, do what we're born to do. It's so interesting because the reason I, I was seeking out someone to come speak about confidence is that we, especially, um, you know, having started in the gas utility space way back in 1983. So really dating myself here and spent a lot of time in engineering and manufacturing and then in the construction industry and the energy industry in male dominated fields. It's this challenge of how do I show up confident, but not boastful, as you said, how am I, how am I secure in my value and, and able to stand up for that, but not come across as as arrogant. And I think, especially as women in male dominated industries, we do have to have a voice. We do need to step up with confidence, but we don't want to be perceived as that arrogant or boastful person. Yeah. And that's why I think, Gretchen, that this is a leadership skill rather than a focus for women, or it it does show up differently often in the genders, and I will often get asked this question, uh, a gender question around confidence. But um, as I was doing the research for the book, I was actually working with a CFO um, in the financial services industry and his team, and we had been talking, running some strategy sessions actually, and developing the strategic plan and focus goals, etc., for the year ahead. And when I, what I was noticing was they always, they they thought about what was possible, but then always took it down a notch. Mm. So they knew that there was a possibility there, but there was something holding them back in terms of putting out there what what was possible and making commitments to what was possible. They kept continually pulling back. Um, what they thought that they could achieve and what they were ready to commit to the organisation. And so we started to have in this mostly male um, team this conversation around confidence and what would it take for them to actually feel like they could commit to something that was more in line with what their potential was. And it was confidence that was holding them back. So, you know, that kind of set my research off in a different direction um, or a broader direction that... um, took more fully in all of the leadership aspects of it. Mm, that's fascinating. So in your book, you talk about four elements, show up, stand up, speak up, and step up. And, and I love within the show up that you start with self-awareness and authenticity. 
Um, because I do think that's so critical to that confidence comes in living in alignment with our values and being, uh, being authentic. And you talk about that in stand up as well. So how did you, how did you arrive at this, this framework for confidence? Uh, in a very iterative way, I think, and, um, and bottom up. So it, when I, I actually developed the model through the process of writing the book in that I had a lot of the raw elements of this and I had the research and I'd been doing this work with clients and for myself for a long, long time. And so really in writing the book, stepping back and saying, how does all this hang together? And knowing that the role models and the research pointed to people that had the right balance of confidence but yet were able to have that show up in a way that um, was genuine and grounded and connected to people and were able to exercise leadership then in a way that um, with that confidence but engaged people and had the right elements of empathy and compassion and humility and, and kind of everything that describes this real sense of confidence that's important. Um, so all, all of the research and the role models pointed to unless we start with who we are at our best and the way we do that is by really developing the art of reflection and self-awareness as a very strong muscle in us and therefore kind of using that as a starting point um, that's that's how I got to that point. Long-winded way of answering that question, and I, and I think if I can answer it just briefly, one other way is I've also seen what happens when you don't do that. When you start with um, what's important to other people and what's going to please the external voice, and we take feedback from lots of different sources, perhaps um, from those as as well that aren't operating in our best interest and so when we don't start with who we are at our core with this deep sense of awareness and connected to values and strengths etc um, it's not sustainable and it takes us off track very quickly mm, I, I couldn't agree with you more and one of the words you just used michelle that i is humility and and it's really interesting because there's you know people are like well we're talking about confidence and you know speaking up in a confidence way and standing up and everything, where does humility fit into this? But during my PhD studies in leadership, it's humility that showed up over and over again in different frameworks, whether it's authentic leadership or servant leadership or, you know, transformational leadership or level five leadership, you know, Jim, Jim Collins, that this, this thread of humility and, and, and this ability to balance being confident, but, having humility that I am a human being, that I have foibles, that I have, you know, things that I don't do well or mistakes that I made, et cetera. And it sounds like that was a, a theme that came out in your research. Yeah, absolutely. And whether that's um, through the work that we do to become more self-aware or connected to our values, or in fact, have people around us, whether it's sponsors or uh, mentors or people in our network that we trust and that will give us honest feedback that kind of play back when we overstep that mark, I think, you know, is really important part of this as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Feedback. That's the two 
uh, leadership courses I'm teaching right now in the United States Senate, ANU, Australian National University here in Australia. It's, um, I have a picture that I show of somebody looking in the mirror and that you have to be brutally honest with yourself and that gathering data. I've been anonymously reviewed by every person that works for me every six months for about 20 years. And it it's so enlightening to your own blind spots as a leader and um, and helpful. And, you know, when you genuinely take that 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 feedback on board and actually try and do something. So one of the things that and you and I were just chatting prior to this podcast that we share in common is that the organization that I'm with Conversant right now, our founder, Mickey Connolly, wrote a book on connected leadership as a framework. And you were sharing that you've just written a white paper on connected leadership. And I haven't had the benefit of reading prior to this podcast, but what better place to explore it, right, than during a podcast. So tell us a little bit about that white paper and your philosophy and thinking around um, being a connected leader. Yeah, thank you. And I love your story about feedback over 20 years. It's amazing. Uh, The white paper I wrote, Gretchen, is actually called The Connection Deficit. And I started with what are we hearing from people? What do we see as some of our greatest leadership challenges, you know, in our time, which, you know, we know is this this need to bring both head and heart to our leadership, to be human and to engage with everyone around us as humans. But um, one of our biggest challenges is providing, that, leading like that, and providing purpose and direction and connection in a culture of change and disruption. And this year, 2020, more than ever before. Um, so I started with the research and um, the paper uh, being what, you know, there's a deficit in this space. Whilst the demand is high, the deficit exists very clearly from research upon research showing us that people are telling us that leaders aren't listening enough, they're not getting enough feedback, they're not getting enough one-on-ones to to understand performance, Uh, they're just not connecting and engaging and showing the care, the compassion and I think this is where humility comes into, into the connection or connected leadership piece as well. So I started actually from, a, even though it's not my style to start with uh, start with the negative, I started with what is the deficit? What do we know about the connection deficit that exists today versus what do we know about the demand for leadership in uh, a new and different way, which is one of connection? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Well, I use a book by Edgar Schein in one of my courses called Humble Leadership, which, which ties into that that humility piece of it, but he has coined a new phrase, personization, and that it's about the relationships that you create with people that makes you a truly great leader. It's your ability, like you said, to connect, to have empathy, to, to have, yeah, deeply authentic, caring relationships. What, What are some of the aspects you explore in your white paper about what to do now that we've, that we've, identified the negative of not being able to connect? Well, I talk about three traits of connected leaders being compassion, humility, and curiosity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what, what, again, what sits at the heart of that is this depth of self-awareness and ability to reflect and therefore being able to show up as our best selves and 
leverage our strengths and what gives us energy and collaborate in a really human way. I love the curiosity element because you know, it drives teams and organisations and cultures which are you know, much more about innovation and creativity. So the elements of connection are so fundamental, I believe, for leadership in, in how we lead great organisations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love, I, I sound sometimes like I should be Edgar Schein's publisher because I'm always promoting his books. <laughs> he's, he's so wonderful and so gracious with his time too. But the other book I just reread of his is called Humble Inquiry. And it's about being an asking culture versus a telling culture that somehow we've gotten into this, you know, it's about telling people what to do. It's about telling, telling, telling. And his premise in this book is that, no, we're asking. It's that curiosity. And I've said for years that when I watch the greatest leaders in action, they're asking the right questions. They're asking that, you know, um, I can think of a, this is just a small story about this, but a CEO friend of mine who came and guest lectured in one of my courses at ANU, she's a CEO here in Australia. And she was talking about one of her senior leaders giving a presentation that just went horribly. And afterwards she said to her, how do you think that went? And that person said it was horrible. And she said, great. How do you, what, you know, what would you, how would you like to improve in this area? And they put a plan together and, you know, two years later, this person was a fabulous speaker, but she didn't have to tell her that she had done poorly and she didn't have to tell her that it was important for her her to be able to present in an effective way. She just had to ask the right questions and then offer the resources to help this person be a better version of themselves. Mm, I love those stories. And, but how incredibly difficult can it be? I I think what I've learnt in this connection space over many years is that the simplest some of the simplest elements of connection like listening like empathy like asking great questions uh, are often the hardest and another simple story uh, aligned to your story Gretchen is a leadership program I'm running at the moment with an organization a connected leadership program and and one of the senior leaders there, his whole goal for the year is to listen with much greater intent and for the benefit of everyone around him. And when I challenged him about, you know, what stretches in that and, te- you know, tell me more, help me to understand really what the stretch is for you and what the challenge and, and, and opportunity this is this is a head smart leader who is very intelligent, very quick, um, very able to set a vision, but has not understood the impact that he has around him. And so, this space of being able to listen is a massive challenge for him, but a massive opportunity. Yeah, yeah. I I reengaged my emotional intelligence coach back in April when the pandemic started because. <laughs> I knew that it, you know, the stresses, lots of different stresses that are going on in the world right now would cause me to need to have greater emotional self-awareness. It's something that I've worked on for many years and that ability to dig deep into what our makeup is and what we really need to work on. Kudos to that person for recognizing that they need to, to embark on that journey, which 
actually in reading your book, which I love the power of real confidence. I love how you've woven in so many of my favorite other books and research. And you talk specifically about, um, I don't, I think, I'm not sure if it's in the deal with your enemies section, which I love Mm -hmm. that title, by the way. Um, but you talk about immunity to change, which is another book I'm using in another leadership MBA leadership course that I read a few years ago about how do we change our habits? So whether it's talking about leadership or confidence, what have you found to be successful in, in digging deep and, and changing our habits? Because it can be so difficult to rewire our brains. Well, I do have to say I love Lisa Lay and Robert Keegan's work on immunity to change and I've studied a couple of times at Harvard myself and, um, and I, I love their work in dealing or supporting sustainable behavioural change because this is where, you know, we often notice, we know behavioural change is hard and what we might notice is that we've been trying to, to make something happen for ourselves behaviourally for a long time but we're stuck in it. You know, I don't think you know anything like what we've been speaking about—the ability to listen or ask great questions. But you know, what we notice that we what gets in the way is our need to be the smartest person in the room, or be liked, or whatever it is um, will often get in the way. And what a framework like immunity to change does for us is allows us to pause and reflect much more deeply about what we're doing or not doing behaviourally that's working against where we want to go and what the fear or worry is that sits underneath it. And I think until we understand the, what's holding us back at that level, at a fear or worry level and the, and the assumptions that sit alongside that that keep it real for us or, or keep it alive in us, then... You know, we're often trying to do change, behavioural change, in a way that we set ourselves a New Year's resolution and that, that you know, we know how successful that is. So I, I use immunity to change a lot and I do that because, for me, it's really one of the very few frameworks that help us to understand most deeply what it is that will help us to enable and sustain behavioural change. Yeah, it's um, it, it's so interesting too. I think back to what we were talking about earlier about feedback. This same CEO that I shared the earlier story of, which I haven't thought of her in a while, but it's so interesting how conversations bring people to mind. She was working on something specific. Um, I believe it was shutting people, shutting conversations down a little too quickly when there was a meeting and something was being discussed and say, you know, okay, we have the answer, let's move on. And she actually empowered one of her senior leaders to the point where they walked out of the meeting. They knew what she was working on, because I do think when I've gotten that feedback anonymously, I tell people what I am working on. So they're observing my behaviors and giving ongoing feedback. And she empowered the staff person to be able to walk out of the meeting and say, how did I do? And to be able to say, well, you could have let this conversation go a little bit longer or you know, great job of this, but, but that feedback loop and when you also, when you're trying to um, change a behavior and they talk about that in immunity to change, that change is a social, is a social activity. Yeah. And and I I think um, having people around us that can support us in any of that work is so critical. Uh, You know, so much of what 
I do and how I think about this is what's got us to here won't get us to there. Wherever here is, wherever there is, you know, we have to keep doing the work. Mm-hmm. And otherwise we keep turning up in the same way and expecting, you know, the, the, the definition uh, of insanity. Uh, so, you know, we have to keep doing the work and, you know, sometimes that feels difficult and challenging, but it, it's so worth the, the effort. Mm, it is. It, it, you know, when you get that grat- gratifying, yes, you are doing better at that. And it's like, yay, I am capable of neuroplasticity. I can rewire my brain to do something different, which as I get older, feels like it becomes more and more challenging to do. So, Michelle, I love your book, The Power of Real Confidence, Learn How to Lead to Your Full Potential. I look forward to reading your white paper on connected leadership and how leaders connect. And as I said, we we deeply at Conversant care about uh, connections, relationship, communication, conversation. That's why we're called Conversant. So, um, so much alignment there in that thinking. So I'm, I'm a listener out there and I, you know, we're wrapping up the podcast. What are your one or two key things of advice, key tips when it comes to either confidence or leadership that you'd like to leave our our listeners with? I think I would like to leave you with one tip for me, which really joins both of these aspects together. And in fact, is critical for anyone as they're exercising leadership, no matter what role you're in. And that's the need to pause, to get off the treadmill, to create some capacity to build that muscle of reflection and to whether that's to reflect on how you're showing up, whether you are holding yourself back due to some um, lack of confidence and need to build that back up again, whether you're not connecting in the right way and engaging Um, your people in a really human way no matter what it is whether it's about confidence or connection just the ability to create the pause in your life to breathe to reflect um, and then to set a new way forward I love that create the pause in your life that's something I'm working on personally so (laughs) Michelle that's um, just great advice and uh, I as I said the the minute I read your book I thought this is a really smart person that you bring so many different elements from your own thinking and other people's thinking and research and weave it together in such an eloquent way and I really appreciate you taking the time to join us on greatness thank you so much thank you for having me Gretchen interested in hearing more visit us at greatnessconsulting.com Thank you.